How's it going? My name's Andy. I'm pastor here at Water's Edge Church, and today is Sunday, May 29th. We are concluding our series called When the Dust Settles, How the Messiah Journeys with Others. The goal of this series is just to recognize how Jesus journeys with different people in different circumstances. This Sunday also finishes our last Sunday of our first year together, which is quite amazing. Our first ministry year will take us through the summer, 15 months, but June 6th of 2021 is when we started as a church. And here it is, May 29th of 2022, which is really cool. And if you remember, we had some goals for this year. Maybe you haven't heard those, but our goals this year as we seek to be a church that love God and love others in Christ, is to coast one, host one, reach one, and speak one. Our goals is to coast one, to learn to Sabbath, take a day off one day a week, to host one, to welcome at-risk kids into our homes and to serve those who are doing the same, to reach one, to consider who is someone or who are some ones in our life that just need the life-changing love of Jesus, the, the grace, the truth, and the love of God. And to speak one, to share what God has done in and through our lives and in through this community. And we've really had some unique ways in which people have been speaking one. We had a panel a few weeks ago of families who have been hosting at-risk kids through our aunties and uncles ministry. We've had people to speak while my wife and I went away on a much-needed vacation we had Jenton Grant's Bahala speak a few weeks ago. We had Larry speak. In fact, you're going to hear somebody speak today. In our church, we actually like to create uh, moments where we just speak about what God's up to in our lives. And one question that I want to ask you to give us all a chance to speak one is, we are in a season of reaching one, so who is someone in your life, as I noted earlier, that requires the life-changing power of God's love, grace, and truth? Who is someone in your life that needs the life-changing power of God's love, grace, and truth? Who's someone in your life that needs Jesus? Take a moment to consider that. When we talk about this topic of reaching others for Jesus, the topic of evangelism, there can be a lot of resistance that comes. There's internal resistances, our fears, our anxieties, our thoughts of never having the right answers and not knowing what to say. There's also external resistances. We seem to be, we've always seemed to be in a culture that's resistant to faith at different times, creating different narratives about faith, about the implausibility of faith, et cetera, et cetera. But I think one of the things we negate, and it, it leads us to our topic today, is that there is an enemy striving, working fiendishly against the purposes of God. When it comes to sharing God's love, when it comes to just life in general, this enemy loves to seep lives of fear and rejection. They like to create illusions or barriers. They're not even there. So I think sometimes when we think about the cultural narratives that are antithetical to faith and we, we seem to talk ourselves out of sharing God's love, a lot of times it's the enemy, the devil, as the Bible calls him, the adversary that is really talking us out of sharing God's love. I actually believe we're in a we're in a time where people are more open to things of faith than ever. We've gone to 
we've moved from somewhat of a de-church culture to an unchurch culture, and I think people are more curious now. We must be sober to these realities that we are in a world that is in a spiritual battle. And the title of today's message is Spiritual Oppression, Spiritual Battle, Spiritual Warfare. What comes to mind when you think of this topic? Take a moment just to consider that. In fact, share with somebody. Maybe there's a movie that comes to mind. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Menace. That was a scary movie, which had some really dark themes in it. Uh, perhaps something more personal. You've had an encounter, interaction with someone that just seemed slightly off or maybe even really off. Maybe something has gone on in your own life. You've had a personal experience, unsolicited or seemingly random anxiety, nightmares, daytime fears, mental blocks. What comes to mind when you think of the topic of spiritual warfare? For me, I remember sleeping as a kid was a place I believed I experienced spiritual warfare. I hated going to sleep. And I know it can be, a, for parents involved, a continuous battle. But as a kid, I, I hated going to sleep. I had my own room at one side of the house down a long hallway. And I never slept in my room. I always slept in my hallway for years just so I could hear my parents downstairs. I just remember praying at night, man, please don't let me think or dream of anything wrong. And I remember moments when I would fall asleep, but you were kind of awake and you tried to wake up and you could see the room around you, but you couldn't get up. And you just felt so much pressure in your chest. It's like, just get up. Now, as we consider that, it's a simple analogy that a lot of people have gone through. Is that the mind of a child just trying to make sense of the world around them? Or is there something more, perhaps spiritually dark at play? As we talk about spiritual war warfare, what does come to mind as, as in your eyes of, of spiritual oppression, spiritual darkness? I remember early on in seminary, I, I was taking a class just here and there. I was just auditing classes and I, I asked to meet with my New Testament professor, Dr. Mark Strauss, pretty smart guy. He helped translate the NIV Bible. He's awesome. And one of the questions I asked him was about all these demons and exorcism specifically is what they talked about back then in the Bible 2000 years ago, something that we would diagnose elsewise today. Specifically, are these encounters with demons or Satan or was it something more psychological or some form of mental illness? And of course, Dr. Strauss answered brilliantly. He said, yes. And I was like, yes, what? Well, he elaborated. Some of it may have been diagnosed as psychological or mental illness. We'll never know. But all of it is some form of fallenness. All of it has a, at least a thumbprint of the enemy's design. And this is how Jesus views it. Because of the enemy's temptation in the beginning and humanity's sin and the subsequent brokenness of the world in creation, in our bodies, in our minds, fallenness has at least a trace of the enemy's work within it. I think what the big question we ask inside when we ask these questions is that, does that mean my friend or sibling or spouse or neighbor 
someone I know who's suffering with some form of illness or dementia or depression or kleptomania or sexual addiction, does that mean they have a demon or like several demons in him or her? And the answer of that is, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. I'm guessing all issues don't necessitate exorcism, but I do believe all issues necessitate prayer. And I think we're quick to dismiss the work of the enemy who likes and strives to use our circumstances for his purposes. Moreover, the enemy loves it when we grow further, when we grow distance, less compassionate, more apathetic towards those who suffer with these type of effects. The enemy loves it when we talk about Reuben in this way. Reuben's just a, an archetype. Reuben is so hard to handle right now. Reuben will never change. Reuben is continuing to ruin Reuben's life. Rather than praying, Lord, will you give Reuben grace, clarity, and wisdom today? Will you give Reuben your joy? You love Reuben. I, I can't imagine the battle that's going inside him, but I know you're a strong, loving warrior, God, Jesus. Holy Spirit, do your thing in Reuben's life. When something is not as it should be, there is some effect or after effect of darkened spiritual influences. Consider these horrific mass shootings this week. And as we do that, let's just pause to pray for God's presence and power to be in that place, whether it's Texas, Buffalo, whether it's in all these places. As we consider instances like this, there are multiple factors involved, obviously, but the spiritual formations that these shooters have gone through is toxic and it is rooted in the demonic. As late great philosopher and scholar Dallas Willard writes, we are all undergoing a process of spiritual formation. We all undergo spiritual formation. Who or what is forming us? See, either the, over the course of time, our actions are either the fruit of the spirit or the poison of the enemy. For the most part, we don't just wake up and do amazing acts or horrific events. You know, I've written a few passages here and there on spiritual warfare. I'm never in love with doing it because that week always seems to be a little bit more difficult. And I've heard quite a few. I've heard the main tactic of the enemy is to deceive and degrade. And that's something we should be aware of. I, I, we've talked about the mental, emotional, relational, and spiritual battles that we all face. In fact, a very um, noteworthy passage is Ephesians 6. Specifically, I'll just read 13. Therefore, putting on the full armor of God. This is something we put on as we face darkness enemies. It says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand. And then after you've done everything to stand. And this armor of God is this belt of truth, that God's truth is wrapped around us. It's this breastplate of righteousness, that we are righteous in Christ. There's no shame and blame because Christ covers us. Uh, we have a sword of the Spirit. Our gospel, our shoes are rather fitted with the gospel of peace. We've got this um, shield of faith that extinguish the arrows of the enemy. 
and we wear on our head this helmet of salvation. These are all truths of who we are, and really based on truths of who God is that inform who we are. That helps us to stand when we experience our own difficulties and spiritual oppression. And that's where I want to pan out a bit as we consider those in dark places. I, I want to pan out, hopefully in order to cast a bit of a wider net today. With so many ideas and images about the topic of warfare, I wanted to provide a similar but hopefully broader definition of, of this topic just to, again, widen the net and, and, and help us to respond to those who are in dark places, whether it's the demonic and or something else. Consider this definition of spiritual oppression. Spiritual oppression is any action or inaction that takes the form of and or result of stilling, killing, and destroying. Any action or inaction that takes on the form and or the result of stealing, killing, and destroying. This is rooted in Jesus' statement. Uh, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to bring life to the full. When I think of stealing, killing, and destroying, I'm not just talking about where our mind goes to. I'm talking about acts that steal joy and steal relationships that kill commitment, kill kindness, kill gentleness. Those acts that do physically destroy and kill others, no doubt. And also the things that destroy our bodies, our minds, and hearts. This definition of spiritual oppression is the effect of fallenness in an individual or even people group. As followers of Jesus, we will encounter several times daily those who are experiencing some form of spiritual oppression, some form of fallenness, which in turn requires our prayer. And, and that's the question is how, how do we respond? How do we respond? How do we, and this is the greater question, how do we waylay the spiritual oppressions that others may be experiencing? How do we waylay the spiritual oppression that others may be experiencing. I like the word waylay because it, it is actionable. It means to stop or sort of impede. In this case, impede the movement of the adversary, the enemy, the spiritual dark forces. It means to stand in the way, so to speak. Yet it also doesn't assume that we and our somewhat over-functioning tendencies try to go out and fight on our own, to take evil on our own might. No, how do we waylay? How do we impede the spiritual oppressions that others may be experiencing? And this is where we turn to scripture. We are at uh, the center historical narrative uh, between Matthew 8 and 9, where Jesus encounters two men who have uh, demons in them. And if you recall throughout this series, one of the main principles that we've had is that whenever <clears throat> Jesus enacts healing, whenever he brings a kingdom into people's lives, whether it's a leper or centurion servant, sick mothers, whether it's sailors in stormy seas, paralyzed people, a dead girl and a sick woman, blind men, the mute, the principle is always this, connection before correction. Connection before correction, before any healing happens. Jesus communicates through his actions and his words, dignity, value, and love. 
even in this case today, the very fact that he reaches out to this or to these demonized men is him establishing connection. These are two people that have been uh, chained up, that have been imprisoned, ignored, and Jesus goes right towards them. And so that's where we read today in Matthew 8, 28-34. When he, Jesus, arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men came from the tombs, met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went to the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those ten of the pigs ran off, went to town, reported all this including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Now, I wanted to expand on this passage a bit because there's a somewhat parallel passage of this in Mark's Gospel that can inform a bit more of what this encounter looked like. It says in Mark chapter 5 that Jesus asked him, this is the demon-possessed man in this case. What is your name? To which he responded, My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he had begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Later it said, Those ten of the pigs ran off because he sent them in the pigs again. And those ran Rather, those in verse 14, tending the pigs, ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who were possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I just wanted to highlight this because Matthew didn't talk about this, is that Jesus was just sitting there with that man. He didn't just heal him and walk away. He spent time with him, sat next to him. And I think as we consider our principle of the series, that connection precedes correction, we also have to recognize that correction the goal of correction is is connection so there's this movement of connection with somebody precedes correction and the goal of correction the goal of any type of communication of honesty any critique any healing any word we have would be to further our connection with others and i think uh, as i talk about this passage and the parallel passage i think one of the elephants rooms is this is one of those instances where it seems like there's a contradiction within Scripture. Matthew's God has two demon-possessed men. Mark has one. And I've heard different reasons for this. Sometimes people talk about when instances come up within gospel narratives across different gospel writers that there seems to be a little difference here and there. I've heard a lot of scholars talk about people telling similar accounts from different perspectives. But I don't think that's, that's what's happening here. I think there's actually intention with this. Uh, what we know about Jesus' ministry is that there were several miracles that he performed that were not recorded. John talks about this. And I believe in this case, there were likely several exorcisms that Jesus did in his trip here to the Gadarenes in, in different areas. And Matthew utilizes a common emphatic device of two men to demonstrate that there was in no situation 
that's too difficult for Jesus' authority. In fact, this is a crescendo moment where like Jesus is authoritative. And I think what that means is like during that time when the Bible was written, it was acceptable to paraphrase what somebody said as long as you didn't lose its meaning, purpose, and very importantly, veracity. So if someone might be asked, well, did Jesus heal two demon-possessed men or one? And to which the disciples at that time would be like, he was healing people left and right. He was exercising demons left and right. No one's asking what he was wearing or whether his words are filled with exacting tones. That's Our value on specific historical details is more of a recent trend. So in those side notes and back to our combo, how do we waylay the spiritual oppressions that others may be experiencing? The first point today is we need to differentiate the person from the affliction. We need to differentiate the person from the affliction. Jesus said, go, and, and they came out, they being the demons, and went to the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank and died in the water. Jesus encounters this demon, or several demons, because the legion refers to thousands of Roman soldiers grouped together. And he splits the disease from the dignity. He differentiates the person from the affliction. Now, I'm not saying, are we to go out and start exercising demons on our own power? I'm not. We'll get to that point in a second. What I am saying is too often when we experience others in dark places, we commingle their plight with their personhood. If Reuben keeps act acting out, it, it's Reuben's fault. We inherently like to degrade Reuben for Reuben's plight. We create narratives around Reuben about why Reuben is in the space and why Reuben just can't seem to make the right move. You think about it, when it comes to someone in our life who experiences alcoholism or bipolar disorder or unfaithfulness, they're afflicted and well, we also afflict them with their labels. They're just never going to get together. They're just lost. And when we do this, we, we fail to remember that all of us are oppressed by some form of brokenness, a broken world and possibly evil spiritual forces. And either way, the devil loves it when we degrade others, when we dismiss their plight. Even if someone seems like a crude, rude dude, a just grade A a-hole, who should get what they deserve, God loves that person, and they are being afflicted by their own selfishness. Yes, of course, there's culpability that each of us have for sure. But there's also this mystery in which sin entangles us, all of us. Many times our actions, imaginations, emotions, and thinkings are taking, are being taken over rather by forces that may be out of our control. And when we fail to see other persons, when we as people who are struggling, when we fail to see others and, and instead want to give up on them, to label them, we are actually losing a spiritual battle. I mean, think of someone who is in a dark place or just even think of someone that you don't even like. Think of that name. Just consider that name right now. What we have to remember is that this is a person made in the image of God, a sacred being, a human that God loves. And so I want to just create space for us to pray for that person or persons today.
I just create a little blank on the screen. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Reuben is a human you love, a sacred being in your image. Would we use that as a prompt just to pray for that person or persons in your life? So take a moment right now just to pray for somebody. This is really how we waylay spiritual oppression, is just to pray for them, to stand in the way of the enemy and say, Jesus, Lord, you and your kingdom, would it come into our lives? Just pray. Amen. So how do we lay this way lay the spiritual oppression that others may be experiencing? Yeah, we, we need to differentiate the a person from the affliction, their plight from their personhood. But we also, <clears throat> and this is where the action kind of stops or really starts the way, you, depending on the way you would cut it, is we need to surrender our ability to control the situation and specifically the person. We need to surrender our ability to control the situation or the person. Um, this passage in Matthew is a very pivotal passage. As I mentioned earlier, it's, it's somewhat of a crescendo that displays Jesus' authority. It's not the crescendo, but it is a momentary crescendo, a build. And it provides a very transitional moment for Matthew's gospel. You see, Jesus' popularity is, is on a, is, is, just keeps rising. But it's in this moment... After he's calmed the wind and the waves of the storm and now calmed the storm that's inside of these demon-possessed men, it's this moment where people are like, this guy is more than just a guy. This is the moment where he'll start experiencing opposition. Opposition. The very next verse is where all the religious leaders begin to make a case against Jesus. And if we just study the different people's in this passage and, and before and after this passage, you'll see that there's different responses to Jesus because this Jesus is out of their control, because they are not in control. Uh, here we go, the disciples, just before this moment, it says in 8 verse 26, after he calmed the storm, he replied, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and waves and it was completely calm. That's him calming the storm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. And this is a moment where people are in awe of God. These are disciples in awe of God. Then you have the townspeople in this passage. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into town, reported all this, including what happened to demon-possessed men. And the whole town met with Jesus, went out to meet with Jesus. And he, when they saw him, they pleaded with him to, to leave the region. That they encountered this authority of Jesus and they asked Jesus to leave. Then we look at the next passage where Jesus heals this paralyzed man. Jen and Grant preached on this two weeks ago. And it says at this point, the teachers of the law, at this point, at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. He's a sinner himself. And they begin to resist the work of God. I share all these because each, in each case, each person or persons realize that this Jesus is out of their control and recognizes their lack of control. If the first point is about the person who's experienced a dark place, this point is about us. 
Are we the kind of person that tries to control others, control those who are experiencing dark places, or have we surrendered them and ourselves and our actions to Jesus? Lord, I don't know what to do. Would you lead me? Lord, you're working in this person's life. I need to trust in that. Would you help me to participate in your work? It's not my work, God. It's your work. I need to surrender my ability to control this person or this situation. And I've <clears throat> I've never been one to preach fatalism. I believe in the power of God. But I, I do want to share some of the best advice that I've been given in regards to some of the people in my life who have struggles. I have some people who, who struggle with uh, different varying degrees of mental illness. And in the church, I don't think we've necessarily handled this people group that well. I would say, I don't know if we've mishandled it. I just don't think we've acknowledged the reality that this is a reality. That said, there's people in my life um, who struggle with mental illness and it just doesn't seem to be improving. In fact, it seems at times it can get worse. And the best advice I, I, I got or was given was like 15 years ago. Someone just told me, After all you pray, and after you try to be God's light, at the end of the day, we just really need to thank God for the good moments that we have with others. Thank God for those moments where it seems like there's clarity. And, and when someone is in their right mind, just like this passage in Mark's parallel passage, just take time just to sit with them and be with them. This moment, these moments are the grace of God. They are so much the grace of God. And, and I think this, this slides quickly into our, our final point tonight, or today, whenever you're listening to this, is how do we waylay the spiritual pressure in our lives? We need to defer to Jesus every time. Defer to Jesus every time. Even the, the, the demon-possessed man, Legion, they, they defer. They're like, what do you want with us, Son of God? They know who he is. And the first part is about those in dark places. Second point is about us. The third point is about us pointing to Jesus. And by way of illustration, I just wanted to share that I went on a cruise last week with Courtney, Carrie, and Greg. And those just come out of nowhere, but it feels like it really will illustrate my point. It was fun. We, I've never done it. Cruises, I would do it again. I would do it with them. We, we didn't get sick of each other at all. And if you don't know Carrie and Greg, Carrie's my sister-in-law. She's my wife's sister. Greg is my brother-in-law. Courtney's my wife. And we are family. We are family. In fact, we are leaders in the church. You've seen us. If you haven't, please meet us. They're great. And this cruise had a lot of fun things to do. Hiking, biking, trivia, concerts, working out, eating out, laser tag. I mean, there's so many things you can do on a cruise. It's so great. Trivia, I, I crush some trivia. Uh, but there was one thing we made sure we did pretty consistently was pickleball. Pickleball. Anybody played pickleball? And people love pickleball. I, I played it once with Carrie and Greg like three years ago. And because Carrie was adamant about pickleball, we were playing it almost every day. We'd wait in line. She's a fan. She's a bit fanatic about it. And she's good. She's pretty good at it. And first time we played, it was like couples against couples and Greg and Carrie who play here and there beat Courtney and I. Uh, they took it easy on us. The next day it was ladies against the boys. And Carrie and Courtney then beat me and Greg. I, I, I really, and we didn't go easy on them. They just beat us. 
And, and this means at this point that I was the only person that has lost every time. And at this point, I, I realize I need to be on Carrie's team because I don't want to lose. I do not want to lose. And the next day was the day where I'd be on her team. At least I thought I was. And I got on her team. You know what happened? We won. That's right. We won. She was on fire. She's got a nasty serve. And I was glad I was on her team. I was like, I'm going to be on Carrie's team. She's got this. We got this. Spiritual warfare is a lot like that, but even more so. When it comes to spiritual oppression, warfare, and the like, it's, it's not our fight, it's Jesus' fight. This is the one thing we actually can't imitate when it comes to the Gospels. There may be more than that, but we, we, we must constantly, instead of try to exercise demons, we must point to Jesus and his power. This means practically just praying in the name of Jesus. It means just focusing on Jesus. So many times people get so over-focused on darkness and demons and the devil. And I believe the key is focusing on Jesus. Even when your kid tells you at night, like, hey, I'm scared, I'm scared. Focus on Jesus. Oh, there's a God who loves you. There's a God. There's a Holy Spirit who occupies this room and wants to occupy your heart and wants you to live in you as you live in God. And the scriptures claim that there are no gods but gods. I mean, even James says, uh, James says 2, 9, that like, you believe there's one God? Good. Even the, the demons shudder at that. I, there was a sweet little nugget I was reading Deuteronomy while I was on the cruise of God saying, they made me jealous by what is no gods. This is the idols of others. And angered me with their worthless idols. Because we know the enemy, maybe you don't know this, the enemy is not a God. The enemy is a created being. But sometimes when we think about that, we're like, well, they're not a God, and therefore I'm with God, and I'm more powerful. And I don't want to say whether someone's are powerful or not, but I will tell you who is powerful. It is God. So we need to defer to Jesus every time. Holy Spirit, help us rely on you. This isn't our own power. I mean, even when you look at Jude 9, arguably the greatest warrior angel there was, the archangel Michael, it says this, that even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dared to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebukes you. The archangel, this fighter for God, he just defers to Jesus. We need to defer to Jesus because there's nothing beyond the hope and the power of Jesus. The demoniac was dangerous. The steam-possessed man or man, they were angry and violent, and Jesus calmed their inner storm and their outer storm. It was a miracle of grace, miracle of grace that happens and still happens today, every single day. And this is where I just want to pause and I want to pivot to create space for a conversation I have with in church with Bernardo. Bernardo is a sheriff in a corrections facility. And this is somebody who who defers to Jesus. Yes, Bernardo models Jesus, but he lives a surrendered life. What she would say is imperfectly and witnesses the spiritual oppression of those daily and seeks to bring the kingdom in his vocation. So I just want to spend some time talking with Bernardo about how God has used him in the life of others. Let's listen. And then, so next steps for today is to keep praying, to be baptized, to join us in our beach gathering next week. It's at 9 a.m. And then join us for our next series, Valued, Our Truths as We Walk in the Water's Edge. This is a series that discusses our values as a church as we head into our second year. Have an awesome day, and Jesus is with you.